and believe that the stuff that I'm going to be sharing this morning, I believe it's going to encourage you, right? Why would you want to sit through another sermon that's just going to be that boring, you know, you don't get anything out of it? I'm really going to speak to you from a heart that I think it might even be new, some of the things that you might hear. Because I was talking to Henry yesterday and Atadang, and um, I was asking, what if I share this tomorrow? Is this new? They're saying, this is new. And it uh, doesn't mean it's unbiblical. It just, it's just something that you probably just never heard before that I think will encourage you. Um, because sometimes, folks, it's, sometimes we get tired, diba? Right? Um, and sometimes we don't feel like we have all the energy. And sometimes you feel like, oh, you know, it seems hard. Being a Christian is so hard. You know, uh, in a sense, it's, it's not even hard. It's actually impossible to understand what it truly means to be a Christian. But in a sense, it's easy. In the sense that if, if you don't live this Christian life by your own strength and you live it through Christ's strength, let him do the work. You know, one of the things that I always tell people, don't even try to love God. Okay? I'm going to say some statements that might throw you off a little bit, might confuse you. Don't try focusing on loving God. Focus on his love for you. And when you focus on his love for you, you'll love God. That's all Tagalog I know. Okay. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about me because um, I just don't want to preach a sermon. Um, I'm 30 years old. I'm a, I'm a Phil Am. People here think I'm Chinese <laughs> or Korean, you know. Uh, I hung out with a lot of Koreans, but I'm, I'm pure Filipino. And um, I grew up in the church, just maybe like some of you, and maybe some of you um, are new and maybe don't even know Jesus Christ yet. Um, but you'd want to. I believe you'd really want to get to know this God. And um, so I grew up in this church, but I wasn't serious until I was about 17 years old. You know, there's that point. You know, you just, sometimes you just go to church. You just go through the motions, you know. You go to youth service. Trust me, you guys, I've been to youth services every Friday. I did Bible study every Wednesday. I go to service every Sunday, Sunday school. But I wasn't really serious, you know. And I was always doing, uh, I was makulit. I did a lot of stuff that I shouldn't be doing. And it wasn't until I was 17 where I decided, okay, I want, I want to see if this stuff is true. Okay, I'm, I'm not here to scare you. But when you think about it, you're holding the Bible in your hands, how do you know it's true? Right? Now, I'm not here to scare you, but when I was 17 years old, I came to that point where I said, what if this is not true? What if I'm going to church every single Sunday and I'm singing to this God that's not even there? <laughs> right? Because sometimes you don't feel Him. You don't see Him. Right? Um, at least I haven't, you know, except in I, I see people's hearts that, you know, people that have his heart, but you don't see God because he's invisible. So it makes it hard. And so when I was 17 years old, I started studying something called apologetics, and I'm not going to get too deep into that. But apologetics is something where you learn how to defend your faith. So, for example, you go to school and somebody says, well, how do you know your Bible is true? Then apologetics gives you answers on how to defend your faith. You know, how do you know Jesus Christ is God? Then apologetics equips you to be able to defend your faith and say, this is how I know he is God. You get it? So when I was 17, I went through something called apologetics, that phase. But anyways, I won't go through too much with that. The second phase was probably one of the biggest stages in my life, which was the area of healing. And this might throw some of you guys off. Look at my hand. 
Okay? You can put this on camera. I don't know. Okay? I was born like this. Now, I do a ministry of healing. <laughs> so when you see a guy doing healing and his hand is like this, it confuses a lot of people. Let me tell you what happened. I was born like this. And when I was a kid, of course, when you're a kid, you get teased a lot. Just kids are mean. You know? not, not all kids, but some kids. I'm just going to rest. Okay? <laughs> I'm just going to chill. And uh, what happened was when I was 17 years old, I went to something called a healing crusade. You know, where you have a famous guy preaching. He claims to have the gift of healing. And I went to this crusade, and I was crying, asking God to heal me. Then when I was 17 years old at this crusade, um, I didn't get healed, obviously. And for eight years, I became what you call a skeptic. You know that word skeptic? You're a critic. Where I stopped believing in the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is gifts of healing, prophecy, tongues. You, you guys heard of that stuff before? So for eight years, you guys, I started preaching against healing. Right? And in 2006, when I was in Bible school, I started having certain experiences where I started to believe again. And it was something very radical for a lot of people because they're like, no, you're the guy that doesn't believe in healing. And all of a sudden, I'm doing healing. <laughs> and then I ended up doing a healing ministry, you know, where I'm able to travel and I, I heal the sick and it throws people off. They're like, well, that's weird though, but look at your hand. I don't know why I'm still like this. I don't know why. My parents don't understand why. Um, but one thing that I do know is that I'm going to be healed. Um, actually, in the ultimate sense, I'm already healed, diba? Okay, because by His stripes we're healed. Now, we haven't seen it manifest yet. And I told the Lord, no matter what, whether I get physically, manifestly healed or not, I'm still going to preach healing. Um, but I know I'm, uh, Jesus Christ actually appeared to my pastor while he was in the hospital. And he said that, you know, my hand's going to be healed. And so I'm waiting for that time. Uh, but I know in the ultimate sense, the Bible says you were healed. So I'm standing on that. My mom always says, Joe. My nickname's Joe Joe. <laughs> she says, Joe, I pray that, you know, no one will lay hands on you, but your hand will grow while you're preaching, you know, that no one will take the glory for healing my son, except Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, my mom's like that, you know, because my mom's been through a lot. And, um... So th through that phase, um, I went through healing. And I'm going to pray for some of you guys later. Is that okay? If you guys need healing. And, um, but then the, 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 one of the most recent revelations that I had was the revelation that your pastor Tim started to have, which is this revelation of grace. Now, I grew up in the church my whole life, and I've always heard that word grace before. Right? You're saved by grace. But did you know that there's many churches today that they say they believe in grace, but they don't preach grace. They're actually preaching something called the law. Okay? Is this familiar with you folks? Uh, when I use the word the law, I, I'm going to try to define it for you, okay? When you think of the law, what do you think of? The Ten Commandments. Okay? What if I were to tell you that the Ten Commandments aren't for you today? Okay? Is the Ten Commandments on the screen or something? <laughs> right? You guys heard of the Ten Commandments, right? Now, weren't we taught that we're supposed to follow the Ten Commandments? Yeah? I'm not saying at this church, but just growing up. But did you know that you're not supposed to follow the Ten Commandments? Did you know that? Uh, let, me, let me give you an example. Okay, I feel like as I'm going to be preaching, that you're going to feel this big burden come off of you. 
okay, even more, because you're going to start growing in grace, okay, because it's not about you trying to earn anything anymore. The Christian life is about knowing the revelation of Jesus Christ, of what he's already paid for you on your behalf, okay? You guys know what an escalator is, right? Okay, you guys go to the mall. I haven't been to the mall here. But you think of an escalator. What do kids like to do on the escalator? When the escalator is going down, what do kids like to do? They like to run up. You guys know what I'm saying, right? You guys got to give me some energy so I know you guys are understanding what I'm saying, okay? So imagine this elevator, escalator that's going down. The stairs, electronic stairs going down. And then you're running up this escalator. Imagine this escalator as the Christian life, okay? So you're going up this escalator. I don't want to try to imitate it and run, okay? Uh, and this is a Christian life where you're, 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 you're doing the so-called Christian things. You're praying. You're reading your Bible. Guys, we're trying to stay pure. <laughs> you know, you don't watch bad stuff. You don't say bad stuff. You're trying to become holy. You're trying to become righteous. You're trying to stay pure. You guys know what I'm saying? This is how we're taught growing up in the church. Now imagine you, this is the Christian life. And while you're running up this escalator that's going down, that's descending, all of a sudden, you fall, right? Or you fail, or you sin. What happens when you're going on this descending escalator? You keep going down. You know what that's called? That's a Christian that puts himself back under the law, where you're going down. Now, opposite. Imagine the escalator is going up. This is a Christian life. You're no longer trying to be holy. You're no longer trying to be righteous. You're no longer trying to be pure. But you're doing good things. You know, you're loving. You're helping the poor, et cetera, et cetera. But imagine on this escalator of the Christian life, of the escalator going up, you fail. And then you fall. What happens to you? You still keep going up. What's that called? Grace. Folks, did you know that you could do the stupidest thing, okay? I'm just going to talk like myself. <laughs> I don't want to pull back, okay? You could do the dumbest thing, the worst of the worst thing you can do. God will still love you exactly the same. Okay? Now, am I encouraging you to sin? No. But I'm just telling you that unless you get this revelation of God's unconditional love, You'll never grow in your faith. You have to get this, that God loves you unconditionally. No matter how messed up you are, he still loves you the same, okay? Now, let me give you a verse that might be kind of new, because even I've shared this to some grace preachers, and they haven't heard this before. How many of you have heard the verse in Matthew chapter 22, where it says, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? And in Deuteronomy 6, it also adds strength. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is that familiar to you guys? Yeah? Now, what if I were to tell you that that does not even apply to you? Is that new? Or have you heard that before? I'm curious. Raise your hand if you've never heard this before, that that verse does not apply to you. Just so I know, okay? Listen, there's not only one, okay? There's more. And I'm assuming even some of the leaders. Now, let me tell you why. Okay? This might kind of scare you. Like, oh, why'd you invite this guy? <laughs> Now, I'm here to show you how good God is. Now, notice in the verse, it was one of the question was posed by the Pharisees, okay? One of the teachers of the law, the experts in the law. He said, uh, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Okay? Now, what did Jesus say? 
You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all your strength, according to De Deuteronomy. Now, imagine if I'm a preacher. Don't imagine I am right now, okay? <laughs> well, just imagine this, though. I'm preaching to you this, the opposite. Imagine me preaching the opposite. All right, young people, we need to love God. Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your soul. But love God with all your mind and with all your strength. You know, you could question the preacher. Does he love God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, or even with all of his strength? What's the answer? No. And if you claim to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, you're lying. You're lying. Okay? You know what God can tell you, folks? God is the only one. Jesus is the only one that can say, I will love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and all of my strength. Remember, the, the guy said, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And what does the Bible say? You are no longer under the law. You're under grace. Is this making sense, folks? Yeah. Okay, now, I'm not, am I telling you not to love God? No. But remember, when you follow the law, there's hundreds of laws. You, we don't follow it. What Christians like to do is they like to pick and choose the laws they want to follow. Okay, don't have sex out of marriage. Don't do this, blah, blah, blah. But you know there's hundreds of laws that we're not mentioning. There's, there's passages in the Old Testament that talks about if you disobey your parents, you get stoned. You can't create a fire on the Sabbath or you'll get killed. Do you guys follow those laws? You know what the Bible says in James 2.10 that when you break one law, you're guilty of all. Right? So we can say, oh yeah, you know, but I, I do this, I follow this commandment, I follow that commandment. What about the other laws? You don't do it. Let me give you an example. You know the story of the rich man that approached Jesus? And he talked about um, what must I do? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what did Jesus say? And the guy was like, well, I follow this law. I keep the law. Remember, he's boasting in himself that he keeps the law. What did Jesus say? Well, then you lack one thing. Go sell everything. Then what did the man do? Did he sell everything? No, he walked away sad. Now, here's how a lot of Christians teach this, and I've been taught this my whole life. They say, see, that guy wasn't a true believer. He didn't, he didn't have true lordship because when Christ wants to reign in your life. He needs to reign in every area of your life, and you need to repent of all your sin. You see, that's how we're taught. That's how I was taught in the church. See, they're like, oh, he's not a genuine believer. So they would use that verse to tell people, if you truly want to follow Christ, you have to give up everything and turn away from all your sins. Is that true? Think about that. Okay, you guys look confused now. Okay, right? Let's smile, okay? Folks, think about this. Here's a guy boasting about himself. Jesus, I keep the law. Then what did Jesus do? He magnified the law. He says, okay, now you sell everything then. And he didn't do it. So the point of the law was not for you to follow. The point of the law was to expose you, to bring you to an end to yourself, to lead you to Christ. The book of Galatians calls the law a tutor. Okay, it leads you to God. Okay, is this making sense so far? Now think about this. Is a, is a law bad? No. The Bible talks about the law as something holy, righteous, and good. But the law does not have the power 
to make you holy, righteous, and good. What gives you the power? Grace. Grace. Let me give you a more practical example. Okay, I'm married. Wow, I'm married. Well, okay. Now, I could choose and say, you know, I, I don't, co- don't commit adultery, right? Now, can somebody boast and say, well, I've never committed adultery before. Praise God, I'm a follower of Christ. I don't commit adultery. You know what Jesus would say? Even though you don't commit adultery physically, but even if you just lust after a woman, you've lusted and committed adultery in the heart. You see how he magnified the law? He raised the bar, so to speak, for people that were self-righteous. He says, oh, you know, but I've never murdered. I'm no good person. I've never killed anybody. But Jesus says in Matthew 5, even though you never kill anybody, if you have anger in your heart, you still get judgment. Why? Because God does not just look at the physical. He looks at the inside of your heart. Now, aren't you glad that even though we mess up internally, we're, not, we're no longer judged based upon that? Why? Because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law for us. See, even Jesus says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now people say, well, that means I have to be really, 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 really holy. Good luck. Good luck, man. Now, think about this, folks. If I tell you guys, okay, I'm not, a, or even some of the girls, I even know some girls that struggle with this. If I tell you don't watch pornography, okay, some of the guys' heads could go, you know, you guys, God still loves you the same. If I say don't do it, you're a leader, you're a Christian, set an example, what's going to happen? You're going to have so much pressure to try to follow and do good. What's going to happen? You're going to fail. Isn't that true? You could probably do good the first couple days. Don't do it. Oh, I'm tempted. Don't do it. Okay, I did good today. Then the next day, (laughs) boom, you fall. Because I'm telling you folks, the solution is not trying to follow rules. The solution is not trying to follow principles. The solution is letting the life of Christ live through you. Okay? There's two trees in the garden. What are the two trees in the book of Genesis? A tree of life and knowledge of good and evil. Now, notice it's not the tree of good and evil. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let me show you how a lot of people live. And maybe some of you might not even be believers yet. But let's just say you become a believer soon. Here's how a lot of people live. They say, okay, now that I'm a Christian, what do I need to do now? Okay, I need to read my Bible every day. I need to pray every day. Okay, don't lust. Okay, don't, don't say bad words. You know what they're doing? They're living according to the tree of knowledge of good and evil because they're always trying to figure out what's just right and wrong. You see that? But it, imagine if you just follow what's right and wrong. Is that love? When you just follow a rule. If I tell Remy, if Remy says, Josh, why don't you cheat on me? With an, why don't you sleep around with a bunch of girls? And I say, well, because I'm trying to follow the Bible. Is that love? But what if I tell her I don't want to because I love you? Now, what if she says, it was our anniversary two weeks ago. We got married on our anniversary on March 27th. Let's just say I buy her flowers. And I say, oh, here you go, honey. Here's some flowers. Oh, thanks, honey. Did you mean it? No. But it's something that I'm supposed to do. It's a, rom- it's a romantic thing to do on Valentine's Day or our anniversary. Folks, isn't that the way we live as Christians sometimes? Why'd you do that? Because it's the right thing to do. Because the Bible says so. Is that love? No. True Christianity is where you eat not from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but you eat from the tree of life. 
where instead of focusing on trying to do good, my prayer is, is that you will live under grace that when you do good, you don't even realize you're doing good. It'll just become a fruit. Isn't it harder, folks, when you tell people, don't, you know, don't do this and don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't get drunk. Folks, imagine if you go to my house. I have a lot of books. Now, maybe some of you don't like to read. Big deal. But what if you see one of my books that says, do not read? Now, even if you don't like reading books, maybe some of us like reading journals. <laughs> what does that tempt you to do? You could say no the first time, right? Like, no, 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 this is not right. I shouldn't read this. This is private, you know? But maybe the next time it's there in the room, same room as you, you'll get tempted to read. Or you go into a house where all the doors are okay, but you see one door that has a sign and says, private. Do not care, but you'll be like, uh-uh, what are they doing in there? <laughs> you get what I'm saying? What does that tempt you to do? It tempts you to do the exact opposite. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the strength of sin is law. If you want people to sin more, preach a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that, right? So people think, oh, no, no, you have to preach the Ten Commandments or these rules so they'll stop saying, no, the more rules you preach, say, don't do it. What's going to happen? You're going to do it. If you see, now look at these glasses here, the windows. Imagine you put some signs and there's some rascal kids. There's a sign that says, don't throw stones at this window. What's going to happen to these kids? Like, oh, no one's looking. It'll stir something up for you to the exact opposite. Right? So remember, it's the rules, it's the laws that get you to sin more. But the Bible says in Romans 6.14 that sin will no longer have mastery over you because you are no longer under law, you're under grace. You're under grace. Is, is this something that you've all already heard before or is this kind of new? Is this helping you guys out a little bit? Kind of new? Okay. I'm done. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to give you guys a clear picture because a lot of people don't understand that this is what we call the new covenant and the old covenant. Even a lot of grace people, they don't, they've never heard that before. What do you mean by covenant? A covenant is a promise, the way God deals with people. Your Bible is called the Old and New Testament. But did you know that the New Testament or the new covenant doesn't actually begin at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? You know how we have Matthew chapter 1, John chapter 1, you know, all that. That's not the new covenant. Even though we call it New Testament, the new covenant does not begin at the beginning of those books. The new covenant begins when Jesus died on the cross. Because that's when he said, it is finished. It's done. Okay? Because remember, Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He didn't say, I'm here to destroy it. I came here to fulfill it on your behalf because you could not do it. So he lived a life for you and as you. So when God looks at you now, he no longer looks at you in your sin. He looks at you in his son. Colossians chapter 3 that the Bible says, you are found hidden in Christ. You imagine your Bible. Put a piece of paper in your Bible and shut it. That's like you, in Christ. When God sees you, he only sees you in perfection. The Bible says you've been perfected forever. See, because look at folks, in the, in the Old Testament, the Bible says, do not, do not, do not, do not. That's called the Old Covenant. That's the Ten Commandments. Do not do this. Do not do that. Now think about this, folks. Imagine you have a bunch of rules on a wall saying, okay, Christians, do not do these things. Does that really teach you how to live? It's just a bunch of rules. 
Now, some of you want to have a family. Some of you want to start a business. Some of you want to do acting. Some of you want to do music. Do those rules, do not commit adultery, do not mur- do those really teach you how to live? No, they're just a bunch of do nots, right? They don't really teach you how to live. So the old covenant are, is a bunch of do nots, but the new covenant in Hebrews chapter 8 is when God introduces a new covenant. And instead, instead of saying do not, God now says, I will, I will. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds. I will forgive them of, of all their sins and will remember them no more. God is now the one doing the work, not you. See, isn't that kind of like nice, folks, to not have that burden anymore? You guys don't even try to love God today. Okay, you heard this sermon, right? Usually you go to a sermon, you're like, um, okay, now i got to apply those verses. Here's, here's the difference between grace preaching and law preaching. Law preaching is where you always have to hear a sermon and you have to figure out how to apply it. That's law preaching. You know what grace preaching is? Grace preaching is that when you hear grace, it already speaks life into you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. It doesn't say it's by hearing the word of God. The Greek word in the Bible is hearing the word of Christos. It's the word of Christ. It's called the good news. That when you hear the good news, you don't mean to say, Oh, okay, I heard that. How do I apply that now? Okay, don't do this. Don't do that. No, good news is that when you hear it, it already stirs up your faith. And life is blown into you. Is that good stuff? <laughs> okay. Now, folks, here's might be something new too. You know, God's not even trying to change you. God's main goal is not to change you. Now, usually when you become a Christian, what do you want to do? I need to change I'm a Christian. <laughs> I need to stop doing this. If my leaders find out I'm doing that, I'm going to be taken off of leadership. It's like that because we always feel the pressure to change. God's main goal, folks, is not to change you. Now, hello. <laughs> How do I know that? It's common sense. Now, you boys and girls, maybe some of you might like each other in this room. Ooh, it's okay. Are you like somebody else outside this church building? Now, imagine if, okay, girls, there's a guy that likes you, but his main goal is once he gets with you, he's going to try to change you. Think about this. He says, oh, you know, I want to get with this girl, with Joanna. Is that your name? I want to get with Joanna, but once I get with Joanna, I don't like the way she does this. I don't like it when she does that. I'm going to try to change her. Joanna, is that love? No. It's common sense. So why do we think we have this pressure that when we're in Christian, you know, we become a Christian, that God's main goal is to change you, sin less. Did you know that sin is no longer an issue with God? It's been done away with, okay? Now, am I encouraging you to sin? No, but I'm saying it's no longer an issue. You don't want to sin because it messes you up and it messes up other people, but between you and God, you are 100% okay. Now, God's main goal is not to change you, but here's, I think, his main goal. His main goal is not to change you, but his main goal is for you to know how much you are loved by him. And once you know how much you're loved by him, you'll change. Folks, let this sink in your heart. God's not saying, oh, I don't like this, my son. I don't like this, my daughter. I can't believe you did that. How dare you take advantage of the cross? You know? God's not condemning like that. You are. I am. We condemn ourselves. God no longer condemns you at all. God loves you 100%. One guy I remember here preached says, there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing that you can do bad to make God love you less. 
He loves you because 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 that's just the way He's like. It is His nature to love. And from that, folks, we change. Amen? You see how God is such a good God, man? When you think about, you know, I'm not <laughs> trying to be careful with my words, okay? Now think about it. Usually when I grew up in the church, I go to a crusade, you know, like, uh, I, won't, I won't mention their names. <laughs> okay, I would go to these big crusades, and it's all about turning away from your sin, you know, but God, no, 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 they'll say God loves you unconditionally, right? Which is the, the gospel to say, oh, man, you know, I'm a sinner. I went to jail. I did drugs, blah, blah, blah. And then you'll tell your non-Christian friend, oh, but God loves you unconditionally. He loves you exactly the same, which is the good news. But once they become a Christian, all of a sudden you change it a bit and say, but now you have to do this. Now you have to do that. Now you have to read your Bible every day. Now you have to pray, blah, 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 blah. Just don't, don't lust. Don't lust. And you see how the language changes? We preach grace before they're believers, but once they become a believer, you start preaching law in grace. When, even when you become a believer, I'll tell you, God still loves you exactly the same, man. And did you know that this Bible is not the main thing that you follow? It's the Spirit of God that you follow. Okay, I am not against the Bible, but the Bible says itself that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You do not follow the Scriptures ultimately. You ultimately follow Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to try to explain this, Pastor Tim. I don't know if he's heard this from me yet, but this could be controversial for some people, but I'm going to do my best to explain it, okay? Uh, because someone last week said, wow, this is really new. I, I went to a gathering last week, and they've never heard this before. Ultimately, the Bible is not the Word of God. Ultimately, the Bible is not the Word of God. How do I know that? The Bible never even claims to be the Word of God. Okay? Now, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to give you a clear picture, and I think Pastor Tim will understand what I'm saying. I'm going to do my best to explain it so you get this. But I'm trying to point you to Jesus Christ. That's why. I was telling to Atadang yesterday, why is it that you have this book, but yet we have all these different cults and religions from the same book? But we're all preaching from the Bible, right? I'm preaching the Word of God. I only preach what's in the Scriptures. Hello, but your theology changes from that. It's so different from that church down the street. You do not find life from the Bible. You find life from who? Jesus Christ. This book is not the Word of God. This book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you, make it clearer for you. The Bible is not the Word of God. These are called the Scriptures. In the New Testament, they didn't even have the Bible. Did you know that? That came hundreds of years later. They had letters. They didn't have all the letters the way we do. What we have is what a bunch of Christians put together. And they call it the Bible. Now, I'm not against it. I believe in the Bible 100%. But it is not the Word of God. These are called scriptures. The scriptures contain the Word of God. You see the difference? So the Bible is not the Word of God. These are called the scriptures. The scriptures contain the Word of God. But the Word of God is Jesus Christ. The Word of God is Jesus Christ. Because I've seen too many churches and too many pastors elevate the Bible but it is not, because you could say, well, it's, it's all truth in the Bible. Hello, but which truth are you talking about? There's so many different interpretations. I'm not saying that no one has, a, there is a right interpretation. I believe in truth. But I'm just saying when people put too much emphasis on, you have to go to Bible school, you have to do this. Hello, it's the Spirit of God that will teach you ultimately. I'm not against Bible school. I, I went to Bible school. But I'm trying to point people to Jesus Christ. 
Don't, don't, don't even listen to me, folks, if what I'm saying contradicts the Bible. I believe that the scriptures will, will confirm what you truly believe in your heart to be true. Okay, so I'm not against the Bible. I believe that when I speak truth, it'll make sense in your heart. I think that's what happens with the grace message. Every time I hear, I share the grace message to people, they'll be like, that's new to me. But in a sense, I already knew that because I believe that in my heart, but, uh, but pastors always preach the opposite. They, they always preach rules, you know? Now, let me finish with this Word of God thing. The Bible is not the Word of God. These are called the Scriptures, and the Scriptures contain the Word of God, and the Word of God is Jesus Christ. Now, we will say, but there's all these different interpretations then, right? So how do we know which interpretation is correct? John chapter 1 says, the Word became flesh. The Word is Jesus Christ. So how do we know which interpretation is correct? Is that when you read the Scriptures, you will see Jesus Christ. You will see the good news. You will see grace. You will see His heart. Right? Because, folks, you could look at the Old Testament. That's not the Word of God in the ultimate sense. Those are just Scriptures of the law. You could read Scriptures about laws that are condemning you, right? If you disobey, you get cursed. Deuteronomy 28, and you have skin problems. And you know, you know what I'm talking about? The Bible talks about, do you get faith from reading that? When you, oh, you know, uh, uh, there's, there's stories in the Old Testament of people getting raped. Do you get faith from that? No, you always have to filter everything through the cross, through Jesus Christ. That when you see the scriptures and you say, okay, now that Jesus died on the cross, how does the scripture make sense now? Because you don't want to follow everything in the Bible. Hello? Would God, would God tell you, I want you to sacrifice your son just like I told Abraham? Do you, now, if you guys did that, see, see you're, you're not understanding the scripture. We have to filter everything through the cross, through Jesus Christ. None of you guys walk around naked, except at home. <laughs> but Adam and Eve walked around naked. You know, if you really want to be biblical, follow everything in the Bible. You guys see what I'm saying, folks? What does it really mean to be biblical? That's what I'm saying. Everything, what we mean by biblical is everything is done the new covenant way, the new covenant understanding where everything was paid for by Jesus Christ. Amen? So that when you're sick, you don't say, well, Job had all these boils, and maybe God's testing me. Maybe God's doing something like Job. Job lived under a different covenant. Job didn't have a redeemer the way we have a redeemer now. You guys see what I'm saying? That's why people just pick and choose. Oh, I'm just like a Job. This is my Job, or this is a thorn in my flesh. It's different. Folks, when you see it through the lens of the cross, you'll see that your sins were paid for 100%, and so was your sicknesses and diseases. You are healed. You were healed the Bible says. And if you were healed, you are healed. Amen? Okay? Now, I'm going to share something else. Yeah, this one's new for sure because I, I brought this up to Atadang and Henry yesterday. Did you know that the Holy Spirit does not convict you of sin? You're like, oh! <laughs> what? <laughs> now, is that, is that new? The Holy Spirit, is it not new? Okay, for, for her it's not. The Holy Spirit does not convict you of sin. Now, is that news for you guys? See? No? Okay, now when I was growing up, this is what I used to preach. And I used to act like this too. Because I was a pastor before when I'm in the States. I would be like, you know, you guys, I was in the prayer, my prayer closet, and the Holy Spirit convicted, of, convicted me of my sin, and I need to stop. Doesn't that sound very spiritual? 
It's not in the Bible, folks. You will not find one verse in the Bible where the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. Isn't it funny that we use these, Christ we call it Christianese. There's all these Christian talk and language that we hear in church that they probably just read it in books, but it's not even found in the Bible. Now, does the Holy Spirit convict? Absolutely. Now, let me clarify, because I think you guys heard a preacher recently where he talked about convictions, diba. Right? Now, I think he's correct, but he's using it in a different way. He's talking about convictions where you feel convicted to do the right thing. Follow your convictions. You guys, so I'm, not, I'm nothing, nothing against that. Okay, you guys, so whatever that preacher said last time, I agree with that if, that, if that's what he's referring to. But when it comes to sin, the Holy Spirit 100% does not convict you of sin. Okay, how do I know that? John chapter 16 talks about where Jesus is about to leave. Remember, he's about to go to the Father. And when Jesus is going to the Father, who is he going to send? The Holy Spirit, who is also called the Counselor, and he's also called the Comforter. Now, let me, if you could read this on your own, or I don't know if it's on the screen. The Bible says that when Jesus says he's going to send a Counselor or the Holy Spirit, he's going to convict three things. So the Holy Spirit does convict, but he will convict three things. He will convict the world of their guilt in regard to sin because they do not believe. You guys got that? So he will convict the world in regard, in regard to their guilt because of their sin of unbelief. Do you guys believe? So will he convict you of your sin? No, you already believe. Okay, you guys follow along? He will convict the world of sin because of their unbelief. Secondly, he will convict believers of their righteousness. Why? Because I am now going to the Father. So when Jesus is gone, he's not going to be physically there with his disciples. The Spirit, the Comforter will come and remind you of who you are in Christ. Okay? Is he called the Holy Nagger? He's going to bug you. Oh, you did this, you did that, you did that, you did that. Hello, we have enough people doing that to us already. Okay? Including ourselves. Okay? Sometimes we're like, oh, you're so stupid. I can't believe you did that. You talk to yourself like that. You think the Holy Spirit needs to reinforce that? No, he says he will convict you of righteousness because I'm now going to the Father. And then thirdly, the last thing is, he will convict the prince of this world of judgment, the devil, because he already stands condemned. So remember, that's, you break it down. He convicts you of three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin refers to who? Unbelievers. Righteousness to who? Believers. Then judgment to who? The devil. Because he already stands condemned. So folks, how does this look like practically? Let's just say you go home tonight and you do something stupid. The Holy Spirit will tell you, I still love you the same. Now, you know what you did probably hurt you, and it probably hurt other people, but you're still forgiven 100%. Get up. Get up. Because what, see, you guys, see what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit will encourage you. He's not encouraging you to sin, but he's encouraging you that when you mess up, get up. Get up. That sin was already paid for. Okay? He's not going to rub it in your face. The Bible says that all your sins have been washed away. As far as the east is from the west, I'll remove your transgressions from you. Now, imagine if he does not convict you of your sin, and all your sins I'll remember no, no more. Would it make sense to say, all your sins are washed away, I'll remember your sins no more, but Joanna, do you remember this? 
You know what that's called? Schizophrenia. <laughs> that means that God does not even know what he's thinking then. He's going to remind you of something that he, for, that he threw in the sea of forgetfulness, but all of a sudden he doesn't forget anymore. You see how God will never use your sins against you. Your sins are stupid because they mess you up. That's why you don't want to do it. You reap what you sow. In that sense, but between you and God, you no longer reap what you sow. Jesus sowed, and you reap now the benefits of Christ. All blessings are found in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1 says. You are now seated in heavenly places. Folks, this is one of my favorite Bible verses ever. 1 John 4, 17. As Christ is, so are you in this world. Have you heard that verse before? It's my favorite verse. 1 John 4, 17. As Christ is, so are we in this world. Does it say when you die and go to heaven? No. It says in this world. Now the Bible says that you are now seated with him in heavenly places. So this is what I heard one time. You should never ask, God, am I pleasing to you? You know, we want to ask that sometimes. God, am I really making you happy, Papa? Right? You know, that's the wrong question. You don't ever want to say, Father, am I pleasing to you? Am I making you happy? That's the wrong question. Here's the right question. Father, is Jesus pleasing to you? Yes, and so am I. Because as Christ is, so am I in this world. Father, is Jesus righteous? Yes, and so am I. Because as Christ is, so am I in this world. Is Christ without lack? Yes, well then so are you. Because as Christ is, so are you in this world. Folks, everything is provided for at the cross. What a lot of Christians like to do today is they like to beg God and ask, God, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, because they think that they're lacking. But the message of the gospel is that it's already done. You know, there's a story of George Mueller. I was sharing this to some friends the other day, and I've been reading this story. He was a man that dedicated his whole life to taking care of orphans. You know, there was around like 2,000 orphans, if not more. He, he never asked for a dime. Okay, that's a dimes in the States. He didn't ask for one centavo, okay? <laughs> he didn't ask for any money at all from people because he committed his life, him and his wife saying, we will trust in God 100%. We will take care of these orphans. He would line up all these orphans, thousands of orphans at a table with no food, just empty plates and a cup. Could you imagine that? And he wouldn't even pray in the typical way of praying where he'd say, Father, please provide the food. He would leave the room. And he would say, Father, you know the situation. Thank you for the food. Now all of a sudden, knock, 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 knock. Someone comes. Hi, I'm sorry, but my cart or whatever just broke down and it has all this extra food in here. Do you need any? All right, you know, I have some milk here. Just randomly, I just, do you need any? That's how he lived by faith. Because folks, if you are, are in lack, if you feel like you're in lack, it's a lie. Folks, I've been a missionary here for two years. I have no job. I've just been preaching the gospel. And I have bills every month because I'm a student, seminary student. I have thousands of dollars in debt. God pays for it every month. Every month. I've never been over, you know, past due. Could you believe that for two years? And I pay my rent. I pay for food every day. No lack. But yet, you know what the Bible says, folks, in Matthew chapter 6, I believe, where it says that you are worth more than the birds of the air. You know, you can look at a bird, man. Just thinking God feeds it. And he says, aren't you more valuable than they? And the lilies of the field? And everyone's always begging God. Stop begging God. 
but say, Father, I know I'm worth more than the birds in the air. I'm your child. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Papa. Make it personal. Don't even say, Lord. I'm not against Lord, but just make it a little bit more personal. Don't say like, our Heavenly Father, Lord of hosts. <laughs> it's like we're just copying worship leaders we heard or something like that. Just be, just be chill, okay? He's your Papa. Say, Daddy. Daddy, I thank you. I'm hungry. I don't have any money right now, but Father, I thank you that I am rich, that my Heavenly Papa is rich. Father, thank you for lunch. <laughs> I love food, <laughs> okay? Right? Folks, it's, that's just the way the kingdom works. You know, even before we got married, we didn't have the money. We didn't have, we didn't, she didn't have a dress. My wife's very simple. It sounds, sounds so weird saying my wife. <laughs> it's only two weeks, that's why. <laughs> uh, we didn't have money for a dress, and we didn't even have money to celebrate with our friends. We were thinking, should we just do it on our own? Because we don't have money to pay for people. You know, but you want to celebrate. You don't want to just be on your own, you know. And did you know that the week before I got married, the Sunday before I got married, I prayed. And that night I had a dream. I had a dream that some stranger gave me money in the dream. And I started crying in the dream because I was so thankful. Like, oh, my gosh, I got money. <laughs> you know? And then I woke up Monday morning telling Remy, I said, Remy, I had a dream that I got, we got money somehow. But I, I don't know what this means except, well, whether or not this dream means anything. I know God's going to provide anyways. The same day I met up with an American friend. The entire day we chilled. We hung out. I didn't tell him anything. I didn't tell him my needs. He was carrying this big brown envelope with him. It didn't look like a money full of, uh, an envelope full of money. It looked like just like a file, you know, like a big brown folder. So the whole day we're chilling, the whole afternoon, then the whole evening we're at Starbucks. And then when we're about to leave, I'm like, I'm about to leave. He's like, Josh, hold on. Here you go. I'm like, what's this? He gave me money. Thousands of pesos. You know what that money covered? It covered her dress. It covered my clothes for my... I don't dress up, so I had to buy pants. <laughs> I never dress up, man. I don't like ties or anything like that. <laughs> but I bought it for our wedding, and then it even paid for the hotel. All right, okay. <laughs> you know, but we still didn't have money for to celebrate with our friends. We had about 20 people that we wanted to celebrate with, but we didn't have any money for it. Can you believe this? The day before the wedding... We got the money. It showed up in, our, in my account. It, was ex it paid off exactly the 20 people, and we even had a little bit left over. Can you believe that, folks? The day before. Sometimes I get a little bit nervous. Like, God, why does it always have to be last minute? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that's where it means to start trusting God. Don't trust in your, in your finances. Don't trust in your job because you, you could lose your job like that. God, you know, forbid. But I'm just saying, put your trust in God. It's scary sometimes. But then you know you're really walking by faith and not by sight. Amen? Okay, now I'll close with this because I know you guys are probably getting tired. This will really shift your thinking. Now, sometimes, right, when we do bad stuff, you feel bad, diba? Right? Yeah? Now let me give you guys this thought. How many sins does it take to become a sinner? And for those of you who heard my sermons, don't say anything, okay, because then you'll know what. I want you to yell it out, okay, right away. How many sins does it take to become a sinner? One. One. Okay, one more time. How many sins does it take to become a sinner? One. Nothing. Zero. What does it take to become a sinner? You're born a sinner. 
You didn't have to do anything to become a sinner. Now, how many good deeds does it take to become righteous? Nothing. Zero. Squat. Nothing. Okay. That's why you are called born again. You are, you are not, it's not because of anything that you do, but you are reborn as righteous. That's why you're called born again. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, you are 100% righteous now. So even when you do good, you don't become more righteous. And when you do bad, you don't become less righteous. You are still 100% righteous. Why? Because as Christ is, so are you in this world. Now, why am I telling you? Okay, you're, I'm saying you're righteous now. But Josh, I just did something stupid the other day. Right? You know, you, you look in the mirror and you imagine you go home, you're like, you know, Josh said I'm righteous, but he has no idea what I'm thinking during the day. <laughs> I thought those bad thoughts, or I said those bad words, or blah, 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 or I watched bad, something bad. Now, isn't it interesting that we, we, it's hard for us to believe that we're righteous because of what we do? Now, but l check this out, folks. Isn't it interesting that Jesus never did sin? He always did good, but yet on the cross, he became sin. And he didn't have to do anything. He became sin for you and for me. So why can't we turn it around? That no matter what you do, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are righteous no matter what. Okay? Now, am I going to encourage sin? No, because sin is just stupid, like I said. Now, look at it this way. When you sin, God... You don't make God look bad. Okay, this may, might be kind of new. When you sin, you don't make God look bad. You know, there's all those people saying, oh, you know, but you, you, you're a Christian hypocrite. You're making God look bad. You're making Christianity look bad or blah, 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 blah. You know, you, you don't make God look bad. Okay? Let me take the burden off of you folks. Let me tell you the good news. You don't make God look bad. Do you know why? Because he already looks good. God is not insecure with himself. God is not insecure. Did you know that if you have a child and you go down the stairs? Now, Pastor Tim's stairs are really steep. <laughs> We're staying at his place. Imagine, okay, they have a kid. They have a kid now. Imagine once the kid starts to walk, he goes down the stairs, do, 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 falls, hurts himself. Do you think Pastor Tim's like, oh, you made me look so bad? Remember, what's the worst thing for babies? Corners of tables, glass, right? Those are dangerous for kids. Now, sin is like that. It hurts you. Now, if I have a child that falls down the stairs and gets hurt, I'll say stupid stairs? But will I say that to my son? What will I care about? Will I care about how I look? I'll care about my son. Are you okay? Because then I would, I would know that I'm not insecure. But, oh, you made me look bad. Get up. <laughs> Get up. You made me look bad, son. You know? God's not like that. God's not a jerk. Okay? God's not a jerk. You will not make God look bad. Okay. Now I'm going to move on to something else that makes it. Uh, is it okay? I, how much time do I have, Ping? I'll stop if you want me to stop. Just let me know. Okay. All right. Thanks. Is this okay, guys? I'm going to keep sharing some stuff that's pretty radical, that's pretty new. Now, you know those, now, if you have this, I don't, I'm not against it. I'm just saying it, it could confuse you with your thinking. 
You know those bracelets, WWJD? What would Jesus do? That's not grace. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you why. If you focus so much, why, if you have the Spirit of Christ, would you have to say, what would Jesus do in this situation? If you already have the Spirit of Christ. Are you supposed to copy everything that Jesus does? Oh, you have to imitate Christ. Says who? Do you have to die on the cross? Do you always have to heal a bunch of lepers? <laughs> now, I'm not saying, you know, don't respect and admire the things that Jesus did, but you are not Jesus, okay? When, it, when we talk about being Christ-like, it's not about imitating Jesus Christ. Being Christ-like is having the Spirit of Christ in you. It's not about you saying, what would Jesus do? It's all about, what is Jesus going to do through me now? Because you're not focusing on the past, okay? Oh, Jesus did this, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to feed 5,000 people. Or so, you know, no one does that. You don't do that. You get what I'm saying? Now, I've heard this illustration from a sermon, which was really good, from Darren Hufford. Imagine if you're a Satan worshiper. If someone cuts you off on the road, would the Satan worshiper have to say, what would Satan do? No. You would know what to do. Do you know why? If you're a Satan worshiper, because you're possessed by the devil. Did you know that you are possessed by the Holy Spirit? You, we will live by the Spirit of God, not by the Word, not by the Bible, I mean. We are living by the Spirit of God. The Bible is good. The Bible is true, but it will confirm what's already in your heart. Folks, this is what got me in trouble in Manila when I tell people. Follow your heart. Everybody will tell you, Christians, don't follow your heart. The Bible says that the heart is wicked and deceitful. True. But that's under what? The Old Covenant. The Bible says, I will give you a new heart. Not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. Isn't it funny that Christians tell you don't follow your heart? But where do we ask Jesus to come into? Your puso. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, man? We say, but Josh, what if my heart tells me to sin? Your heart won't tell you to sin. Your heart is what will tell you that that's sin. Hello, why would you not follow your heart? Anything that is not from your heart is no longer love. You will live from your heart. You love from your heart. Your relationship should be based upon your heart. Everything that I do for my wife should come from my heart. Honey, why'd you do this for me? Because I had to. It's a command in the Bible. I don't want to be disobedient. That's not love. But if I say, honey, I said this because it's in my heart. Is this making sense, folks? Okay. And when I, I was hearing this stuff just in recent years, I'm like, man, I've been a Christian since I was a kid, man. And I've just been in bondage, <laughs> following a bunch of rules, man. And did you know, okay, for those of you who are in relationships, I would encourage you, or if you want to get in a relationship, check out my, my message called uh, Love, Sex, and Relationships. It's on my website, uh, uh, joshuatongo.com. And I believe it will help a lot of people here. Uh, because there's just a lot of weird views about sex and, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't kiss, don't blah, 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 you know. And my answer is I believe that when you hear it, if you hear my audio on sex and relationship, I, I believe it will liberate you. You won't feel like marriage is a prison. Oh, I can't do this anymore. Or you won't feel like you always have to stay away from doing, you know. Is this too far, Kuya Josh? Can French kissing is bad, you know. I, we really get detailed at the speaking engagement. You know, but here's just, just to close with this, with this one last thing. I know I already said that, but let me say it again. It is impossible for you to love your boyfriend or your girlfriend more than God. 
Okay? Now, one of the fears that I had, the only reason why I'm sharing this now is because you're young people. I don't know if I'm going to share this to the adults tomorrow, but I'm sharing this because of young people. One of my, my biggest fears when I was growing up and serving at a church was because I was scared that once I get a girlfriend, I'm going to lose focus, and I'm going to love my girlfriend more than God. Does that sound familiar to some of us, Okay, That's probably a lot of fear for some people. Here's what I learned. You will never love your partner more than God. Now, the Bible says God is a jealous God. God will never say, do you love me more? Who do you love more? Put God first. Have you heard that before, put God first? God doesn't say put him first. Why would you need to put God first? Okay, I'm throwing out some blanket statements, okay? God is not asking you to put him on a list where he's first. One, God, then family, then friends, then me last. God is not first, like a list. Think of your life like a circle. God is at the center of that circle. Where it's not about him being first. Because what does that look like, anyways, that God's first in your life? Does that mean you're just reading your Bible more? Or you're listening to Christian music more? Like, what does that look like? When you really think about it in a practical sense, when you know that you're living the kingdom of God day to day, the Bible says that no matter what you eat or drink, it's all for the kingdom. It's all for the glory of God. That no matter what you do, God is always involved. Even if you're watching a kung fu flick. Really? Okay, you know, one of the most powerful moments, I, I always share this at a sermon. I was watching an action movie in a the theater. For a split second, I felt the love of God during an action movie. And I wanted to cry. Not because of what I saw in the movie. But you know that you're carrying the love of God in your heart 24-7. That it's not about my Bible reading is more important than this movie. No, the Bible says all things are spiritual. There are times to read your Bible. There are times to watch a movie. There are times to hang out with your friends. It's all spiritual. Don't separate. Is this making sense so far? You see, because God's not a boring God where oh, only spiritual things are reading your Bible and praying. Hello, then that would be a boring Christian life, man. That's part of it. Reading the scriptures, praying, but the Christian life is everything. Worship is everything. Me and Henry were talking about kahapon. Okay? <laughs> I got to throw in those Tagalog words. Okay? Worship is everything. And the way we sum it up is worship is just love's response to love. Where you wouldn't, imagine I would tell you guys, love God, love God, love God, love God. Hello, it's kind of hard right now. I'm tired. But imagine if you just keep preaching the good news. God loves you. Even if you're tired right now. Even if you feel like sleeping right now. He still loves you. He still loves you. And that's why this truth of God always in your heart, that he loves you just as you are because you're so special and unique to him, you'll want to worship him back. And worship, as I was telling Henry yesterday, that it's not a one-way thing where you just offer the sacrifice of praise. Even if you don't feel like it, do it because he's God. That's not worship. That's called religion. That's called performing. Right? Imagine if I do all these things to Remy and I don't feel like it. No, it always comes from the heart where true worship is a two-way thing where you touch God's heart and God touches your heart. Okay, make sense? I'll just close with that. Okay, and if you guys, I'd like to talk to you guys more. We could spend more time here. You know, I was telling Henry and them yesterday, I'm like, man, I just want you guys just to chill with me. You know, it's like, it's nice being a preacher and all, but sometimes people just, they treat preachers like you're somebody special. I'm not anyone special. Okay, I'm just like your brother. <laughs> okay, and I look young too, so that helps. <laughs> Right? But anyways, guys, I love you guys.
Um, I'd really like to get to know you guys more. Um, you guys have beautiful hearts. And what you guys are doing is really good. You guys are giving people activities to come to on a Saturday. Young people to stay off the streets so they won't do some bad stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But you know what I would tell people at a church? Love each other. Just love each other. Don't get too caught up with programs. Okay, Pastor Tim already knows my heart about church. He knows that I'm not against the church. The only thing that I tell people is that don't get too caught up in stuff where you forget relationships. Where sometimes we're only friends with people because of ministry. That's not true church. True church is that no matter what, you're still there for them, even if they're not in ministry. And let's not give people guilt trips to do ministry. Let them do it because they want to. You get, you get what I'm saying, folks? Be the church. Love one another. Carry each other's burdens. Don't, don't, don't be religious and say, how are you? Oh, my Bible, you know, I, I read my Bible today. That's not what I'm asking you. How are you? I'm not asking about your Bible reading. I'm asking about you. Just be yourself. The church is where we can be ourselves. Right? Isn't that funny? We call the, the church building a hospital, but yet we act like everyone's healthy. <laughs> we hide the most there. But we can tell our non-Christian friends more of our junk because they won't judge us, but Christians will judge us. How do you say Bakit ganyan or whatever. <laughs> right? So guys, just be yourself.